Welcome in to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I am Jeremiah Johnson. This is episode number 71. Thank you for joining us. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. Here we are on episode number 71 with a verse-by-verse edition with Rick Maynard. Before we dive in, I want to remind you guys you can listen wherever all across the world, whatever your favorite app is, check out the Grace Point Daily Podcast. And if you hop on the Anchor platform, you can support us if you want to. We really appreciate you listening to to each and every episode. So what's up, Rick? We are moving right along, very right. slowly as usual. <laughs> that's okay. All um, right. Well, let's dive in. I always tell my class, we uh, one of the convenient things about uh, teaching like this is you never have to worry about what your subject matter is. It's not like preparing a sermon and uh, you can just go verse by verse. How long it takes, that's how long it takes, you know. So anyway, uh, we were finishing up at, in Uh, verse 3 we're actually starting with verse 4 today but in verse 3 it was giving uh, David giving Solomon uh, some orders and we know that he's on his deathbed at this time David is and uh, so he's been giving Solomon some advice for the future and uh, I just had a couple notes here that uh, you know and this sounds you have to explain this but the reward for obeying God is not the same for everyone now you know, we all have rewards, but God tells us to do specific things. And the rewards to that may be specific for our family, uh, you know, for my personal life. So, you know, just because David said, okay, Solomon, if you'll do such and so, God will reward you. God will be faithful to you. Uh, those were specific to him. It doesn't mean that if if uh, some other guy comes along and does what uh, God told uh, Solomon to do, that that'll make him king. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, God has promises. That's why we can't always compare what God spoke to me with what God spoke to you, you know, for our lives. Uh, your conditions for you living for the Lord sometimes can be different. Yeah. And again, they're all based on whatever the Bible tells us. If, uh, if it's contrary to that, then, you know, then we're in trouble. But And one of the things that, uh, that kept a king uh, in line and made things specific for them is every new king that came in had to handwrite a copy of the Torah. So he had to handwrite the first five books of the Bible, which were the most important back then. The other things weren't written yet. You know, that's mm-hmm. what they were living by. And so each one had to write their own copy. And I, I thought that that would be an amazing thing. Uh, in our time, I guess you wouldn't be able to do it with just the first five <laughs> books. You know, we'd have to say, okay, uh, Pastor Jeremiah, we're going to have you as the new pastor of the church. Now, here's the Bible. And you need to write your own copy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and and it is a good way. I write my scriptures out. I like the idea of, of uh, you know, hearing it, reading it, saying it, uh, and writing it. I think it uh, helps me maybe to remember a little more than I would otherwise. But anyway, in verse 4, it says, And that the Lord, so this is just a continuation of 3, And that the Lord may keep his promise to me, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Uh, the promise there is you will never have or never fail to have a man on the throne. But the conditions, it says, if those descendants watch how they live. So you can't just say you're always going to have someone on the throne just because they carry the family name. Uh, it has to do with keeping the conditions that God set forth. And it says, if they walk faithfully before me. So, again, it can't be just anyone. And then it says, with all their heart and soul. So, 
it's someone, if you're having someone sit on the throne, it should be someone that is, uh, has their heart and soul in it, not just because it's an obligation, not just because uh, you know they're David's son or the king's son, but because they really want to serve God and serve the people. And they look at it then, and again, we've related all these things to politics, but they looked at it then as a privilege from God mm-hmm. and not just a... Uh, you know, a good thing to be the king or a, a thing you're going to make a lot of money if you're the king. So, and then, you know, as as always, some promises are conditional and some are not. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, you know, the scripture, if my people who are called by my name, you know, that scripture, that is, yeah. if they do these things, then you'll hear from heaven, you know. Uh, but when he says, I'm coming back, you know, it doesn't say, well, if you'll live right, and you'll do these things. Someday I'll come back and see you again. Uh, he says he's coming back. That's non-conditional. He's coming yeah. back. I get annoyed sometimes. I know this is political. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> as we pray for America, obviously we love America. We're blessed right. to be Americans. We appreciate that. But sometimes I feel like we pray as if or talk as if God has to bless America. Like that's assumed. Like, Lord, you have to. Right, right. Like it's like we almost act like God was... Jesus was born here. Right. You know, that the, America's his favorite. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but anyway, conditional and unconditional promises. Yeah. Verse five. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So he's reminding, uh, Solomon probably already knew this. He's heard the stories and uh, we don't know exactly how old he was, how long he's been around to hear all these things. But, you know, he knows what's gone on. But but uh, David's reminding him of some of these things in those dying days. Um, and in that, again, in the culture, it was an obligation to right the wrongs that had been done. Now, we don't know exactly because we don't have every word, but you know, the question comes up again, why didn't David do it? You know, why uh, is he giving these instructions to Solomon? Why hasn't? Why didn't he just take care of some of this instead of waiting? And it goes back to uh, he was too kind in a lot of situations. David didn't uh, reprimand his children like he should have. Uh, the other thing, uh, that uh, it's a nephew, in other words, uh, it was a family thing, so maybe David didn't want to, you know, mess with the family thing. In other words, Joab was a nephew. And you have to wonder if maybe he just thought, you know, if I wait long enough, Joab will hang himself. Not <laughs> literally hang himself, but, uh, you know, he'll do the wrong thing someday and get himself in trouble. And I think we do that sometimes in, you know, well, politics, the church, family, it's like, well, I don't really want to have to address that. And maybe if I let it go long enough, they're going to hang themselves. <laughs> you know, in other words, it's going to take care of itself. Maybe I won't have to bring them in and scold them or, or whatever. Maybe it'll take care of itself. And so uh, we don't know why David is leaving all of it to Solomon. But it says in verse 6, Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head... Go down to the grave in peace. So he recognizes we know Solomon because of 
we've read the whole story. We know about Solomon's wisdom, but David recognizes that even in uh, his own son as the man that's going to be the king. Uh, he says, you'll know what to do. And there's not much mercy there because he's not just saying, you know, uh, well, I hope Joab dies, you know, in the next few years. Or <laughs> he's not asking for a natural death, but it's a, it's a violent death. In other words, yeah. don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. In other words, I'm not asking that he just pass away slowly at some point. I hope he has a miserable life. Yeah. And and again, they weren't <laughs> living under grace and mercy like we are. You know, they lived under the law, and the law was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah. You know. Wow. And so he's basically saying, um, <laughs> I hope he has a miserable I hope he has a miserable death. That was a sound effect on the yeah, show. There's a sound, yeah, there's God, <laughs> God's calling. He always calls in the middle of this. That's how we know it's for for real. But uh Anyway, but then he goes on and he says, uh, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai and Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Uh, Barzillai, is prob- he's probably gone on by now, so it's talking about uh, showing kindness to the sons of Barzillai, and we're going to talk about just in a second. Uh, we read Previously, probably before we ever started the podcast, we read about Barzilla and the things he had done for David when David was trying to flee from Absalom, uh, but talked about showing kindness to the sons. You know, uh, Joab is David's flesh and blood, uh, but he betrayed David. You know, you would think he should have been kinder to him because he was Mm -hmm. family. We were joking about that coming in here, uh, how sometimes family don't treat me like family because my family doesn't treat me very good you know but and uh, what matters you know this is just bringing up a point what matters at the end of life or what matters most in life the relationships that we have with other people we see him reflecting on good relationships and on bad relationships right i mean people like hey these were good people i you know as i'm getting ready to near the end of my life i'm remembering these good people in my life but i'm also remembering people I didn't like either. Right. It might make you worry just a little bit about somebody that you mistreated that's on their deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they remember uh, the good thing. We all like for them to remember the good things. Maybe they'll leave me some money, you know. Yeah. I have this renter that uh, told me that, you know, he's a multi-millionaire and he owns land and he's got money and, you know, all those kind of things. And one day he said, uh, you know, I don't really have any friends but you and this one other guy and... I thought, all right, you know, maybe I'll get in on that a little bit. Then he said, I'm going to, if I die, I'm going to leave you everything in the house. And I thought, there's nothing in the house but junk. Please don't, you know. But but Barzillai, uh, he owed David nothing. And Barzillai is only mentioned uh, three times, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But I want to read, because I thought about this as I was looking at Barzilla, I want to read something. This is a book that I had called, it's called Little People, Big God. And uh, I actually, I've read this at a couple of funerals because, you know, Barzillo's not the kind of guy that, I mean, he did some good things, but, you know, he's not the kind of guy that um, people are going to say, man, I just wish I was more like Barzilla. Mm-hmm. You know, if you mention his name, most people are not going to have an idea unless they really study they're not going to have an idea who he is. I didn't. You know, I've never heard a sermon really preached on Barzilla. Yeah. You know, 
but he's mentioned three different times, but he's not really the kind of guy that, you know, everybody, it's not like saying, man, I hope I'm like Paul, or I hope I can be like David, or, uh, you know, those guys that we know. But uh, but this book's several years old, but it still applies. Uh, just let me, I want to read a couple pages here. Okay. It says, we live in an era of superstars, men and women, who have been pumped up by the media until they are bigger than life. With a wave of the hand, they can draw crowds of tens of thousands and command unfathomable salaries for minimal output. It's hardly newsworthy anymore when, for example, Kevin Garnett of the Minnesota Timberwolves, this is dating this a little bit. Yeah, but, sorry, uh, me, I love that. Yeah, era. I know that name. But, <laughs> of the Minnesota Timberwolves, signs a contract extension for six years and more than $120 million. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger gets paid $20 million for six weeks of work in his role as the bad guy in Batman and Robin. That's, I have valeted Kevin Garnett's car before, FYI. Oh, really? Wow. Man, I'm sitting Back next in the to, day. I'm sitting next to greatness. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. Uh, that's the world we live in, in a world of superstars. Unfortunately, the superstar mentality also has invaded the church. We have superstar pastors presiding over mega churches, superstar entertainers whose slick promotional mat- material ri- rivals that of their secular counterparts and even superstar television personalities who are concerned with their ratings as they are with their ministry. It's refreshing to discover that God has no superstars. Certainly there are people like Abraham, David, and Paul who got a lot of attention in the Bible, played very public roles in the development of God's kingdom, but they command no bigger salaries than the innumerable little people who are peppered throughout Scripture. People who are common like you and me, people whose ministries can be summed up in only a few verses, but whose impact <laughs> will last for eternity. That's awesome. In fact, when we get to heaven, we may be surprised as to who gets the top honors. Yeah. Jesus gave a hint <laughs> of that when he told his disciples, the last will be first and the first will be last. Someone who has a very public ministry with a great deal of praise from his contemporaries may find that a person who spent his or her lifetime secluded in prayer will receive far more rewards. This book is concerned with the little people found in the Bible. Outside of God's Word, their names may appear only in Bible trivia games, but more important, they are written in the Lamb's <laughs> Book of Life. While they may not be known among men, they are known by God, and they have left a heritage that is of value today. So those people, like what we're talking about with Barzilla, he's the kind of guy that was uh, uh, a little a little person yeah. in our eyes. Very and, and that's a you know, I that's a rant that I'll go on for days is I am annoyed when I interact with followers of Christ that hold up people you know, uh you know, that might have a TV show or a big ministry right. as if they are somehow better than a common Christian. And the the story that I have that this truth became most real to me was I was in Mexico one time far southern Mexico, and we were way up in the mountains. I mean, I, I can't remember mm-hmm. what state we were in, but we were high enough where the clouds were below us. You could see the the clouds right. below, and we were on the mountaintop, and we spent the uh, literal mountaintop, and we literally spent a day with a, a pastor in a church, and we did some building, and then we, uh, we uh, helped them slice up a pig, and it was a lot of fun, and then we ended up uh, worshiping with them, just a, a tiny block uh 15 by 20 block church or something. I mean, very small. And as we finished worshiping that night, you know, that pastor began to cry and gratitude that this people came. And I can't remember if you even had a truck or something, but the reality that that pastor, you know, he would never be uh, a conference speaker. He would never be uh, on TV. He would never 
be looked to as a leader. No one would ever go to him and say, please tell us how to do ministry. Please tell us how to build a church. You know, he would never for one moment be looked at by this world or more specifically by American standards as a successful pastor based on the numerical value of his ministry. He'll probably never even go to a city in Mexico, uh, but he will faithfully pastor that church up in the mountains for the rest of his life until he dies. I think that's amazing. Yes. I think, you know, I, as you were talking about that, I thought of just recently they had the NFL draft and, uh, uh, you know, they – and I don't follow all the college football and, you know, I don't know who the next guy should be or whatever. But they would talk about, you know, when they were doing that and calling them how there was a severe disappointment because they thought this guy was going to get called before the other guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I know heaven's not like the NFL draft. Yeah. But – and I know there's not going to be jealousy and all that. But you have to think if it's a little bit like – uh you know, really, I, you know, I'm this mega church pastor and, you know, all these people got saved in my ministry and and they're calling this pastor from Mexico up before me. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> I mean, and that very well may be the way it is. I, I don't think there's jealousy and those kind of things, but, but we'll get back to Barzilla here. But uh, the only thing, Barzilla was a, he was a wealthy man. They know this by uh, the things that he was able to do for David, but... This goes all the way to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, so we're not going to go back and read the whole story. But when David was uh, running from Absalom, you know, David was pretty destitute there for a while. Uh, He came to provide food and clothing and things for David when he was running from Absalom. That's the one time he's mentioned. When Uriah was killed, it was a battle against the Ammonites. Barzilla was an Ammonite, so he, he very well could have been the enemy, but he was a friend, in other words. He escorted David across the Jordan when he returned from fleeing from Absalom. So he not only um, uh, was there to help David, but uh, he returned later to continue that help. It wasn't just a one-time offer for them. And I I think, you know, you're mentioning Mexico. I think about going to Mexico and how, you know, sometimes we're able to give somebody a meal or something, but then we go home. You know, uh, we're not back there again. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, there was a time when I was going frequently to Mexico that there was a pastor down there of a little church that was just really nice, really humble kind of. So I always tried to give him a little bit of money. You know, I mean, and to them, I mean, if you could slip them fifty dollars, that was a lot of money. Yeah. You know, but uh, every time I did that, and you know, and I say every time, it might have been four times, five times, I don't know, but. But I would slip him a $50, you know, when I shook his hand. And he would always grab my hand before he would take the money. He'd grab my hand and then pray over me and just cry and, you know, like that, like I had just done yeah. something. Those are those kind of guys. Those are the Barzillas out there. Yeah, amen. That, uh, and I guess in a sense, I became that a little bit because I came back again. It wasn't like, well, I'll pay you off. Here's $50. I'm never going to see you again. I hope everything <laughs> goes good. You know, and the Bible scolds us for that a little bit about providing for something one one time and then forgetting about it like we've done our duty. Yeah. But uh, uh, but anyway, he came back to escort David across when he uh, came back from fleeing from Absalom. And David made an offer to him then. He said, um, you know, come to the castle. I'll let you live in the, ca- you know, the capital or the temple or the castle or whatever you want to call it. But 
Anyway, David wanted to bring him back, and Barzil said, you know what? I'm old. I've got everything I need. I don't need to come and live there. He said, just take care of my sons. That was his words to David. And so uh, we'll come back to Barzilla a little bit later and his sons, in other words. But in verse 8, it says, and this is still David giving instructions. He says, and remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahirim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanam, when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. Now, again, this is something we read about earlier, what Shimei had done, and he was doing these things, and David's uh, warriors that were with him said, man, just let me go kill him for what he's doing. But uh, Shimei, basically, the things he had called David, he didn't just say, you know, hey, David, you're no good, or you don't deserve to be the king. I mean, he was shouting curses. Uh, and they say by the, the words there that he was calling him an adulterer, a Moabite, which was a bad thing, wow. uh, a murderer, a vagabond, and an oppressor. That's what the wording uh, has to do. So, I mean, he was not, uh, it was bitter curses on him. Uh, you know, it's one thing for somebody to yell out the window and call you stupid <laughs> because you turned in front of them or, or give you some sign language that we all, you know, kind of know. But uh, the bitter curses, bitter curse means explicit. Mm. Explicit means exceptional. In other words, above just saying, hey, you're no good or, you know, uh, it was exceptional. And exceptional means extremely severe. Mm. So it was not just a mild thing. But David, you know, he let it go at the time for whatever reason. Uh, you know, again, maybe he was failing and taking care of what he should have taken care of uh, at the time. But, you know, and if he, I don't know if he was too forgiving, but Shimei might encourage others to oppose David. Shimei might have been just enough of a leader that if David had just had him killed, he might have lost some following that he was, that, Shimei could have brought more against him for that. So anyway, I, we don't know. But uh, David, David forgave him, but he's still not trusting of him. Uh, and I'm not sure David really forgave. You know, it sounds like to me by uh, these instructions that it's more like, you know, I told him I wouldn't kill him, but now I want you to kill him. You know, uh, sometimes we, uh, we have to prove ourselves. You know, we can say we're sorry, but, you know, children have to prove themselves. Criminals have to prove themselves. Uh, you know, you don't have a child molester that just comes up, well, judge, I'm, I'm sorry I did that, and I promise I won't do it again. Uh, you know, they, they prove themselves. They spend their time in jail. They get out. They prove themselves. They're under probation. Uh, that's what probation is about, proving yourself. Yeah. And... Uh, so anyway, Shimei, he goes on talking about him in verse 9. He says, But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. It says the same thing about him and Joab. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. So uh, whether it was a caution for Solomon that Shimei couldn't be trusted, whether it was revenge, I, I don't know. It, it's that idea of, you know, give him a chance maybe, but watch him close. You know, I made an oath. I promised him that I wouldn't kill him. But that promise doesn't 
apply to you. <laughs> you know, so it, it's a little yeah. bit of a way of going around things. But uh, somebody mentioned something uh, somewhere where I was reading, and I just, I really had never thought about this because, you know, our question would be, why didn't he just kill Shimei? Why didn't he just get rid of him as soon as he did something wrong? But somebody was talking about in God's ultimate plan, the descendants of Shimei were Mordecai and Esther. Mm. So had David killed Shimei when all this happened, maybe we wouldn't have had Mordecai and Esther. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes you think about that, and it's like, man, that's pretty... That's pretty amazing when you think about, yeah. <laughs> you know, people maybe that don't serve the Lord. Maybe someone has done damage in the church. You know, they've uh, they've been so critical and and have torn down the church and torn down the pastor and those kind of things. And you think, man, why doesn't God just strike them dead for yeah. what they've done? <laughs> but then maybe you look back and it's like, but look at their kids. You know, look at their niece or nephew or, you know, if God had struck them dead, we wouldn't have. Yeah, that's a good point. Their next generation. And so I just thought that was a pretty uh, um, amazing statement that if God had killed him or if David would have killed him at the time, we might not have had some of these other great leaders to come along. So might be something for us to think about sometimes when we're so adamant why doesn't god you know and, and even in the politics today we're like man i hate to say it but sometimes we're like why didn't god just strike them dead you <laughs> yes know, right and get them out of the way so um where are we at i started set my time and then i yeah we can wrap some. up 10 here okay um 11 10 11 says 12. uh then david rested with his fathers when, and was buried in the city of david uh not in his hometown of bethlehem uh, he rested as his fathers. They believe that he died on the day of Pentecost, and I'm going to read something else here that may actually finish it up. Uh, just historically, it was a thousand and fourteen years before Christ that he died. The sepulcher that he was uh, uh, buried in remained at least until the time of the apostles. It says in Acts two twenty nine, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So, uh, you know, we kind of forget sometimes when somebody goes off the pages of the Bible that somewhere else their name pops up. So the apostles are still talking about David, mm-hmm. you know, and his. But I do think it's amazing sometimes that, you know, it happened with Moses, it happens with David, you know, all these things that David did, and then the statement... Then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. It doesn't talk about a funeral. It doesn't talk about a procession through the streets. It doesn't talk about, you know, a parade. It doesn't talk about, you know, blowing the trumpets. Or It just says he was died and buried. Hmm. And Moses, kind of the same way, you know. And it never really does. I mean, I'm not opposed to funerals and, you know, eulogy and all of those kind of things. But when some of these great men of God died, it, they were just gone. It was like everything about them was about their life lived, not about a story that had to be told when they died. And, uh, you know, there's no funeral. It doesn't talk about grieving. It doesn't talk about mourning and all of those kind of things. David, with all the great things, and I know he had some failures, but with everything that happened, 
now he's just gone. That's wow. basically the end of the story. So I wanna I'm gonna read this and I, I always make sure I tell people this is not God's word. <laughs> this is not uh, some story that was told that um, um, you know, well, I missed that part of the Bible or it's not told as fact, but it's it's part of a what you have in the in the Jewish culture is the midrash, which is the it's stories told to try to explain something or to incorporate a verse into it that maybe these were the circumstances under which David wrote this verse or this chapter of the Bible. Some things we know for sure. Uh, there's no way we'd we'd know this story anyway. So it has to be made up. But I just want to read this. I thought this was really interesting. It says, because uh, we're talking about David's death, it says, David asked God to reveal to him the day of his death. As it says, let me know, God, my end. God replied, I have decreed that no human being be told when he will die. If a person knew when he would die, he might spend his whole life in sin and only repent on the last day. As the rabbi said, repent one day before your death. Though he had been wicked all his life, he would die righteous and be forgiven. Makes sense. In that case, David said, let me know how long I will live. As it says, the measure of my days, what is it? Again, God refused. He said, if I were to do that, people might sin until their last year and spend less than a year in righteousness. At least, continued David, let me know on what day of the week I will die. I will die. To this, God agreed. He said, you will die on the Sabbath. David did not want to die on the Sabbath because on the Sabbath it is forbidden to prepare a body for burial or even to mourn or eulogize. He begged God to let him die on Sunday. (laughs) No, God replied, on Sunday Solomon will become king and two kings cannot reign at the same time. Then let me die on Friday, he said. Every day of your life is dear to me, God answered. One day that you spend studying Torah is worth more to me than a thousand sacrifices that your son Solomon will bring. I would not cut your life short even by a single day. Thus, David said, one day in your court is better than a thousand. So that's where (laughs) that verse is incorporated in. From that time on, David spent every Sabbath studying Torah. He knew that the angel of death would not be able to take his soul as long as he was studying, so he did not want to let the words of the Torah cease from his lips for even a moment. When the day came for him to die, the angel of death came and waited in vain for him to stop. As evening approached, he realized that the only way he would be able to fulfill his mission would be to distract him, so he went out to the garden and began shaking the trees. David heard the noise and went out to see what it was. Still, he did not stop reciting the words of Torah. As he went down the steps to the garden, one of the steps became loose, and as it moved, as he put his foot on it, David was caught off guard. For an instant, he stopped saying the words of Torah and died immediately. That day was the holiday of Shavuot, or Pentecost, and is remembered as the, as the anniversary of David's death. Uh, you know, so kind of a almost <laughs> a silly uh, story, but I just thought David probably was known as a man of the word, or that story probably wouldn't have been written about him. But wouldn't that be an amazing thing if if that were the case, that God said, I can't come as long as you're studying my word, yeah. You won't die. <laughs> and someone would have the word on their lips so intent that the angel of the Lord had to wait on the sidelines because, man, I can't take him while he's studying, and he's always studying. 
Yeah. You know, he's always there. So, yeah. you know, Thanks it's a, it's one of those stories with a great meaning behind it, whether or not it's a, a true story or not. Uh, anyway, we Amen. probably ought to quit there. Well, whether you are David, Barzilla, Solomon, whatever, we see the continued real point is that we would just serve God faithfully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be faithful to do what he's called us to do. Whatever is in front of you today, tomorrow, that you would daily walk with Christ. That's our goal here at the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Hey, like it, share it, tell someone else about it. We will talk to you next time.